Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like Squirtle and Kate Boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about Sheryl Crow's song, Change Would Do You Good, and David Bowie's Changes. I've been thinking about the challenges of change and the ever-present fact that even when we desire it beyond all else, we fight its coming tooth and nail. I've been thinking about this conflict, external and internal, and the battles we wage with ourselves and others to stop the tides of change. My guest today is Kimberly Fulcher. Kim is a seasoned Silicon Valley executive and serial entrepreneur. She's the author of Remodel Your Reality, Seven Steps to Rebalance Your Life and Reclaim Your Passion, and the creator of the Get Your Groove Back, an on-demand coaching program for women. She speaks professionally about empowerment, engagement, marketing, and community culture, and runs a coaching organization that specializes in helping professional women succeed in their careers. And I'm just going to anoint you as the change agent because I don't think that coach <laughs> is enough um, from videos I've seen and the work of yours I've read. It's, it, that's not enough. It's not encompassing enough. Um, so welcome, Kim, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about connecting with you. So I'm going to start with a story that I saw on your website. You say, my humbling tale makes for a pretty good story. It includes a multi-million dollar corporate bankruptcy, a midlife crisis, a wake-up call from Oprah Winfrey, a Facebook group that launched an empowerment program, the one that we're going to be talking a lot about, and a chance encounter with Ariana Huffington that reignited my belief in myself. So I just think I'm going to start there. That could, I'm sure, take up our whole program, which we aren't going to let it. Um, but maybe just if you could illuminate that a little bit as to what that path looked like. Sure, sure. So, you know, I have been a, a serial entrepreneur for about 20 years now. And, and my first company that I co-founded was this huge success. And that was back in the dot-com bubble days and, you know, the early 2000s. And we sold that company for $40 million and uh, just about like 20 months so I was getting all of these accolades and really being written up about being this, you know, whiz kid entrepreneur because I think I was about 28 years old then. Uh, fast forward to starting my second company, uh, which was a, a company that was committed to providing affordable coaching to women. And that company was a ride and an education, and it did not end in an acquisition or going public, which is, you know, what my hopes and dreams had been when I founded it. Um, but rather, we went out of business, so the company failed. And and that failure really took me not just down on my knees, but I joked that I was, you know, like face down with a mouthful of mud. And it really took the legs out, uh, took my legs out from underneath me. And, you know, I had many thousands of hours of coaching under my belt. I'd written a best-selling book. I'd been featured on television and magazine covers and and really, I think, Ellie, what I came to learn as a result of my failure is that for the first, you know, 30 years of my life, 30, 35 years of my life, I really had learned to value myself based on what I accomplished. And that was great because it really drove me to accomplish quite a lot and, you know, become a millionaire before I was 30 years old and sell this first company. But it also created some blind spots for me that my failure really introduced me to. And so it was face down in the mud that I found myself at an Oprah Winfrey event uh, and had a, a chance encounter with her. And, you know, I say that a little tongue in cheek because I don't really believe that anything is chance. Like, you know, I really believe in synchronicity and I really believe that our lives lead us if we will only stop and listen and, and I remember having this interaction with Oprah, and I was at a, a VIP luncheon uh, in the middle of her event, and I had waited in line with a bunch of women to get my picture taken with Oprah. And, you know, I, I joke as I tell the story that we were like a bunch of kindergartners waiting to see Santa Claus, you know, just so expectant and, you know, ready to be touched by the warmth of Oprah. And I was not cool at all. You know, I, I was fangirl like nobody's business and falling all over myself to tell her how much she had really changed my life and how much I just really believed in her and admired her. And I'll never forget, she, 
she stopped and looked at me straight in the eyes. And she does have this incredible warmth and authenticity. And she said, well, I appreciate that, but I want you to believe in you. And, you know, I made it through the encounter and got my photo taken. And then I hightailed it to the bathroom. And it was, you know, in a bathroom stall in a convention center that I found myself completely sobbing as a result of Oprah telling me that, you know, she wanted me to believe in myself because I wanted that too. And I had been hiding for a period of time as a result of my failure, you know, looking my wounds and really doubting what I was capable of because I'd fallen short of the school and very publicly, of course, and, and financially very painfully. And, and so Oprah really was the impetus that got me back in the game and that, you know, spurred me forward to get back to my passion, which was to empower women, to teach women. And it's what started my company now at KimFulcher.com. And what we do is help women to get out of their own way and help them find their worth and really who they are so that they're more effective at what they do. And so I started that. And you and I both know, you know, there's so much content out there nowadays um, but we were starting really slow with our audience, and I was feeling very discouraged, very passionate about my message and very passionate about the coaching that I was offering to women, um, but very discouraged by how slowly things were starting. And I happened to be speaking at an event that Ariana Huffington was also speaking at, and she has been you know, another woman who I just so admire and respect. And so I did it again. I fangirled all over her, you know, so totally not playing it cool. And we really connected to the degree that uh, I started working uh, with her company, Thrive Global, that promotes wellness to corporations and started facilitating uh, wellness events for them and then started blogging for them. And Ariana really, even beyond the, my interaction with Oprah, helped me to develop the confidence that comes as a result of someone else believing in you when you're not sure. So, you know, that's a very long story to, to kick us off with. But I think the point is, no matter who we're looking at, no matter what they've accomplished, we all want to be okay. We all want to know that we do good. We are all a little unsure of ourselves. You know, everyone has insecurities, even the queens among us. And, you know, so what I endeavor to do every single day is to take what Oprah gave me and what Ariana gave me and to pay that forward so that any woman I interact with is going to be reminded about how amazing she is, no matter what she's dealing with in the moment, if that makes sense. Well, so Oprah talks about the right. She talks about, um, I've, I've heard her say it a couple times, that after every interview, no matter whether or not it's Beyonce or George Bush or the person who murdered his two kids, that they ask at the end of the interview, you know, was I okay? Was that okay? Yes. You know, did I do okay? And yes, because we all want that, right? Yeah, and your story, there's so many points that are making me think so many different things. So I'm definitely veering off the path now, but I, I think in a, in a really important way is just from the beginning, the fact that you had such a huge success in all areas that I think anyone dreams of success, external success, and internal as far as reaching your goal, um, having a, a company that was so successful and sold for so much and, and you got the recognition and it led to other things. How was that not enough? You know, why did you feel that you had to do it again? And it wasn't clearly just because it was really fun, because then maybe it being a, another success wouldn't have mattered as much? Have you, have you looked at that? It's such a great question. And, you know, I think, I think at the point that I started my second company, the company that did not succeed, I was trying to prove something, right? And don't we all endeavor to prove something, prove we're good enough, we're smart enough, we're capable enough. Uh, and I think mine had, you know, a, a bit of a, a female tinge to it, of course, being a woman. Um, but I also had been, you know, the, the young woman who sometimes was not given a lot of credit or credence or even really listened to very seriously um, because perhaps I was considered attractive. Um, I was doubting that my first success was really all about me. And I had that kind of little voice in the back of my head that all women do, um, where I was wondering, well, maybe it was my co-founder that really made that happen. You know, 
maybe I'm not the one that's going to be able to, to, to do this on my own. And, and I think there was a very and big then you went ahead and validated those fears, company. right? You, you yes, like, didn't I? I? I lived right into it, right? Yeah. And, and you know, the funny thing is, it's the, the lesson. I, I mean, I learned so many lessons, and in both my first company that was success, and my second company that was not. Um, but I think the biggest thing that that really got in my way with the second company was that because I had something to prove, and that was I could be the founder CEO. I was smart enough. I was able to do it because I was coming from that proving something mindset. I was less able to listen, which is one of the things I'm best at now and less able to use data to validate and to adjust. And when I say to validate and adjust, you know, I think we always want to look at the results we're creating in order to either validate that we're on the right path or validate that we need a course correction. And I know you were going to be talking about a little change today. Um, but I think I was not yet in the, the level of self-belief where I could admit I was wrong without that costing me something. And so that really got in my way from reading the tea leaves that were right in front of me. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that caused the company to fail because I was not ready to say I was wrong. Well, and it's something you talk a lot about in your writing is the why and why the why is so important, right? And if the why is proving, then you've already um, shackled yourself in a way because then are you ever going to be enough? You know, if, if the first time around and the first success didn't prove that you were enough and good enough and smart enough and capable enough, um, you know, would that ever, even with a second success, have validated your sense of maybe not really feeling like you were. And and it's such a good point. You know, in Thrive with the wellness workshops that we teach, we have something called have, do, be. And it's just a very simple model. And it points to how people get their value. And we all are taught when we're very young that we're valuable because we have something. We're rich. We have a title. Uh, we have accomplished something, right? Um, do because, uh, or, or, you know, we're, we are validated because of what we have, or we're validated because of what we do, you know, the title that we have, um, maybe an award we've received, the degrees that we've accomplished. And the challenge with that is that anytime you're associating your value with either what you do or what you have, those are things that can be taken away from you. And so your value is really, uh, imbalanced, right? It's only when we can really start to connect the value with who we are as a human being and with really that authentic quote, being, which is so much easier said than done. Oh, yeah. And just that as you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah. Get solid. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, and so really, you know, Compass failing, my second company failing, that gave me a, a huge gift because it took the have and the do right out from underneath me. And I had no other choice but to connect with who I am as a woman and what I believe in. And, you know, I think that's the reason that we've really started to succeed at the level that we have at KimPulcher.com because now, you know, my why is about women. I love women. We are amazing. We make the world go, you know, each one of us is the keeper of our own little community, whether that's our family or our workplace or, you know, literal community organizations. And my why now is, to introduce every woman I come across to the authentic, amazing woman that she is and to give her practical tools to help her live in to that strength and live into that, quote, beingness. And why does the why matter? Why is it important to discern what the why is and then the essence? You talk about discerning what the essence of that why is. Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. And there's two two parts to that, in, in my opinion. I, I think first, the, the intention behind our action, the motivation behind our action is something that we don't look at very closely because we're also busy doing, right, um, and having and keeping, you know, protecting what we have, that we don't spend a lot of time thinking really about who we are. But what I know to be true is that any worthwhile endeavor what I'm doing at KimFulcher.com, what you're doing right now with your podcast and with your strategy work, it is a tough go, right? It is a competitive world and business 
is not for the faint of heart. There are constant course corrections, constant challenges in front of you when you're in business. And so I think, especially for, for that reason, understanding why you're doing what you're doing outside of, you know, the, the kind of shallow answers like, well, I need a paycheck, so I got to pay the bills. But really understanding at a soul level, why am I doing this? That can push you through the hard parts. And essence, that's a, a powerful, funny little thing. Because what I have found in you know, 12,000 hours of coaching now, working with professional women, is that many times we keep ourselves from experiencing happiness because we've created this picture in our mind about what success is supposed to look like. And yet, if we really get down to the why, you know, why we want that success, what we'll find is that the circumstances for our happiness are already in place. The, the essence of what we're looking for, you know, why do you want success? Well, because I think that will make me feel secure. The essence of why you want success is really about feeling secure. Or why do I want to be married? Well, because I want to feel loved. The essence is about feeling loved. And if we look at our lives and we allow the rules that have been given to us to change, what we can find is that we have the essence of what we're looking for even well before we get our goals. And if you can connect to that essence on the way to your goals, your satisfaction is going to be much higher in the pursuit of them. I think what's so powerful about your work is the combination of the soulfulness with the practicality. Um, yeah. And, you, and you're, you're such a good writer, and you're so funny. I was cracking up all through. Oh, thank um, you. One of the moments was you said, <laughs> you can't bring everything or everyone with you to your new normal. Um, oh, so yes. true and so important. Um, and so let's talk about that around the idea of what keeps people stuck, because you've mentioned it a little bit, um, you know, one reason why people might stay stuck. Um, and this other one that, you know, you want things to change, but you don't want anything to be different. Yeah, so, so, so there's a couple of points here that I think are really important. First, you know, I love practicality. I am not one of those people who gets very excited about a woo-woo out there idea. I'm a person who wants to understand how a busy woman puts something into practice today, not how a busy woman fits, you know, an hour of meditation into her schedule. I want to understand in five minutes what she can do to make her life better. So I always really veer toward the practical and, and I really appreciate your, your input on the blogs because what we try to do is always have three steps, three practical steps that are coaching homework based that uh, our clients can use or that our readers can use to make things work in, in life. Um, and first I'll talk about uh, stuck and then I'll talk about taking everything with you. So what I find when people are stuck is that typically what is happening is that either we are resisting something that's going on in our life. So things don't look the way we want them to. And rather than focus on how we want things to be, it's the human condition because the brain is not, your brain does not wake up in the morning and look for ways to make you happy. Your brain is constantly on alert to keep you safe. And so what that does is it causes us to focus on what's wrong. And if we stay focused on what's wrong and we get frustrated about it, mad about it, and we feel like a victim and we feel put upon then we find ourselves in something I call resistance. And when you're resisting your circumstances, you're going to stay stuck. And, you know, what I joke about is, look, you can argue with life, but you're just going to go to sleep tired, right? Because it just is what it is. Circumstances are what they are. So the first thing we want to do is really make sure that we're getting our arms around where we're resisting and we're focusing our energy on naming what's wrong, naming what we want instead, and then putting all of our focus on what we want instead, where most people put all their focus on how unfair their problem is. And that's going to keep you stuck. That's resistance. The, the other thing that can happen that keeps people stuck is a little bit more difficult even than resistance. And, you know, when we are afraid that we're going to have to give something up, in other words, we're going to lose something if things change, then unconsciously we can keep ourselves stuck. And, and yes, what I say is, look, if you are setting off to new land, 
and you've got this big, exciting goal in front of you, there are going to be some habits, some beliefs, even some people that cannot come along with you. And if you focus on all the things you're going to have to give up in order to make the changes that are required to make your goals a reality or to make your dreams come true, then you're never actually going to get there. Because again, your brain will do anything to keep you from experiencing pain. So stuck is a matter of focusing only on the problem or of being afraid of what you're going to have to leave behind instead of what you're going to get once you get to your your new dreamland, if that makes sense. And you're going to have to. I mean, you have to, if nothing else, you have to give up the known. You have to. You have to. And, you know, I have a, a blog that's one of my most popular blogs, the How to Navigate Change uh, on KimFulter.com. And, you know, there are, there are four steps to change that I typically use when I'm working with a client. So, uh, and I'm going to use a ship as an example. So stage one is status quo. That means your life is happening as normal. And if you were a ship, you would be docked safely at a port that you know, you know the coffee shop right there. You know the people that walk by. Like your ship is safe in known territory. And that's where most of us live. We maybe dream about a foreign land, but we stay, we stay docked. And then stage two is what we call disruption. And that means that you have picked up anchor and your ship is going to go out on a journey. And disruption can happen on purpose, meaning you can be setting your own goals and making your own changes, or more often than not, it can be visited upon you unexpectedly. Maybe you've lost a job or you didn't get the promotion or the person you love doesn't love you anymore. But that stage two can feel very scary because even when you're going for something you want, you have to leave the known behind, right? So you've picked up anchor. And then in stage three, this is where normally people freak out and quit to be scientific. Um, stage three is adjustment. And it's where if you were a ship, you have set sail to the degree that you can no longer see your old land. So the old ways are gone, but you haven't arrived at your new shore yet. So when you look around you, it's just this open water. And what happens with most people is that that open water, that unknown feeling is so terrifying that what they do is they hightail it back to their old dock. And the, the strength of getting through stage three is really powerful because when you get to stage four, which is what we call new normal, right? This is your new dock. It means your ship has arrived in your new port. You set down your anchor in this beautiful new place and now you have new life. But even with that new life, you had to leave the old shore behind. And that's what stops most people from really making their dreams come true. They don't want to leave that, that dot. It is scientific because it's after 12,000 hours of observational data. So I don't think there's anything <laughs> that could be more scientific. And so, well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's such a funny thing. And I just did a a survey of the women in our community, and we had about 600 people complete the survey, 600 women, and from all different socioeconomic walks of life all over the United States, all different professions, corporate, uh, you know, women with corporate careers, stay-at-home mommies, women who are solo entrepreneurs, women who have small businesses, and the, the number one thing that I hear from women is that their number one problem is stress, and when you break that stress down, you know, speaking of data points, um, it's really around the expectations that they feel they need to live into versus the amount of time and resources they have in order to make that happen. Um, and so, you know, what data tells us or what data shows us is that the, you know, we're dealing with a world that's asking us to be this, you know, brand new fancy sexy ship that goes at mock speed and can handle like 25 tasks at a time while we're going for our new dream, right? Um, and so what the data tells us is that really life is, how do I want to put this? I think for a, an everyday American woman, life is actually not set up to help you successfully make the voyage. Life is actually set up to cause you to question yourself and to doubt yourself and to live into someone else's expectation of what it is to be a successful woman. And so my soapbox is always around making sure that I'm asking women to take a very close look 
at the expectations they're living into and make sure that those actually line up with what they think is right versus what's being asked of them. And what they want as well. You spend a lot of time on that as far as what do you want? And I love that you call people on it and say, it's not just not true that you don't know. You know, you might be hidden down very deeply um, and you might not want to look at it. You might not want to admit it, but you do know. Um, Has that been your experience across the board working with with people? Yes. So the, the number one thing that I hear from people women and men, but especially women, is I don't know. And I do not buy that because there is a knowing within us. There, there are only two reasons that you don't know. Either you have not taken any time to connect with yourself intentionally, and that's not a knock because life does not invite contemplative time. Right? You have to make that time. It's not going to just pop up and say, hey, here's some time to think about your life. Um, so part of it is just really not having that connection with ourselves because we're so busy taking care of everyone else. But really what I find is the biggest barrier between connecting with what you know uh, is giving yourself permission to know a thing without acting on it. So for example, if you know that you hate your job, if you know that this is not the career path for you deep down inside, but you're terrified about going out and looking for a new job, well, you're going to pretend you don't know what you want because knowing what you want means you're going to have to go find a new job or, you know, even more tender territory. Maybe you know that you're not in a good relationship. Maybe you know this person is not treating you the way you deserve to be treated, but it's a lot easier to say you don't know that because as soon as you admit it to yourself, well, you've got to do something about it. And that means marriage counseling or it could mean you're no longer in a relationship so I think it's the, we are afraid of what knowing will cost us, very much like we're afraid of moving forward because of what we're going to have to leave behind. So I always play a little game with my clients. I have this place called the land of just knowing. And what we do is pretend that you're in a place where you can know a thing without doing anything about it at all. Because society has kind of conditioned us that once you know a thing, you've got to do something about it. But that's not actually true. The first thing that I love my clients to do is just kind of hang out with their knowing for a period of time in their own mind and heart so that they can get comfortable with it and it doesn't feel so scary. And I have never, and I can say this confidently, I've never worked with a client that hung out in the land of just knowing and just let herself know without any kind of consequence who did not come up with the answer that had been in her heart the whole time. We always know. And the answer could be, I'm going to choose it. I know it's not the best. Um, and there may be some problems with it. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to look at my value system and my priorities and, and that that's okay, too. And I think that's so freeing that you create that space for people to say, you know what, you can acknowledge what's true. You can open your eyes and be willing to look at it. And then you can choose what you want to do with it. Yes, yes. And, and the, you know, the most powerful statement around this that I think really hits home is denial does not remove a problem. It reduces your power to deal with the problem. Here's the other thing. You can come to a truth that you don't like your job or you're not happy in your relationship, and that doesn't mean you need to quit the job or you need to not be in the relationship. It may just mean you need to communicate and ask for what you need in a very clear way. And that's another thing that we women are really discouraged from doing. We are not encouraged to rock the boat, raise our voice, uh, you know, raise our hand and say, this is not working for me. We are socially conditioned to be yes girls, to not make anyone uncomfortable, to not create any broken glass. And, and there even is blowback for women, I think, more than men when we do raise an issue. So what I'm constantly reminding women is that, A, you deserve to be fully supported. You deserve to be loved for who you are. And you 100% deserve a voice in every important relationship or endeavor you're in. But no one is going to give you that. You must take it. And that is a, a daunting proposition for many of us. 
Well, let me think that's what's so powerful about your practical approach to this and the three steps is it's not just something that you read and say, oh, yeah, that's so true. And oh, that makes me feel good. Or oh, I'm inspired. It's like, okay, now here are the three actions that you have to take. And you say you can't behave in a way that conflicts with what you want and hope to get it. And I think yet, so many of us do it. And and I'd say all of us do at some point in our lives, right? It's like, well, yeah, I want to get that. But I'm really going to act in the opposite manner. And I'm going to still really hope and believe the universe is going to give it to me yes yes well and it, so i think the you know the secret and the law of attraction has introduced such a, a powerful and actually scientific concept uh, to the world and yet i do think that sometimes the message can be lost because it is important that you are focused on what you want and that you're thinking about it and that you're feeling good, and that you're feeling grateful. But it is not enough, right? You have to match your behavior with the goals you're looking to bring into life. Or, you know, you can think your way happy, but you're certainly not going to think your way to those results. So uh, an example I'll use, and I'll, I'll use myself, I just finished my second book. And, you know, my goal This book is about empowerment, and it teaches women how to use their power in practical ways. And my premise is that power is not actually something you have, right? It's not this scary concept that some people get at birth and some people don't. Power is about your ability to use your energy to influence your life, right? It's about having agency. And agency is a psychological term that just means that we are able to manage our own behavior and impact our own results. And when we are behaving for our goals, this amazing thing happens and we start to make progress toward our goals. So I was talking with my agents, uh, you know, probably six months ago, and I was in my fifth revision of my book proposal because uh, we are shopping that to New York publishers right now. And she said, well, what is it that you really want, Kim? And I said, I want to touch millions of women's lives. And, you know, hardcore goal, I want to be a number one on the New York Times bestseller list. That is a bucket list goal for me. And she said, are you writing every day? And I was like, well, what kind of question is that? And that's exactly the right question because what I was doing is thinking about what I want and thinking about being this number one New York Times bestseller. But I was only writing about three days a week. So you have to line your habits up with your goals in order to move those goals forward. The correction I made was I started making sure that I wrote every single day, whether I was inspired or not, whether I wanted to or not. And lo and behold, in a few months' time, we had a brand new next edition book proposal, and now we're shopping that sucker. And, you know, I'm one step closer to the goal. But it wasn't enough for me to think about what I wanted. I had to actually, you know, roll my sleeves up and do the work a bestseller. And the first part of that is you got to write it. And just like that, with you know, if you want a healthy fit body, you got to eat for that. And you've got to work out. If you want a great marriage, you have to behave for that. You know, whatever it is that we want, we need to align what we think and what we say and what we do up with that goal. And when you do that, you will get the goal. But I've actually never met someone, Ellie, like I've never coached with someone. And this is 12,000 plus hours of coaching who didn't have some misalignment between what they wanted and what they were actually doing with their time. And that is the magic of really getting into coaching and into practical steps that help you make modifications. So I want to come back to that in a minute because you have on in your articles and your website a list of questions and they're such good questions identifying what you want and the, the ones you devise as to, you know, what are the five emotions that you want to feel each day? So really breaking it down into the aspects of what you want and the elements in a way that I haven't seen before, which is fantastic. But before that, just when you're mentioning, you know, that you realized you had to start doing things that, you know, once you had at laser focus, you know, shining on your goal, you then had to start doing things. The other element of that that you identify is, because you say there are two questions to ask and answer. And one is, what do you need to start doing? The other one, I think, as you must, because it's the second question, equally important is, what do you need to stop doing? Yes, yes. So, so here, I think we get this, order mixed up most of the time. We're, we're very used to being corrected, right? As much as that's no fun, we're very used to being told, 
Well, and let's use uh, let's use health as an example because it's such a universal thing with with women. And you know, funny thing, but this survey that that I just mentioned that we did with women, the number one problem women struggle with is their body image, even more than stress. Which you know, even in today's day and age, is, is maddening to me. Um, but let's just imagine that you have a listener who's not entirely happy with her physical fitness level, not entirely happy with her weight, having a hard Let, time with the aging Let's really stretch process. our imaginations. And try to imagine. Stretch our, if that were to happen with any woman. Right? Every single woman on the planet. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so the first thing we do is our culture has taught us, well, let's just take things away. Let's stop eating entire food groups. You know, let, let's just, let's eliminate. And, and while... Absolutely. There are things that every person will need to stop doing if they want to meet their goal. I like to start with what you need to start doing because our energy is much better used in the positive than it is the negative. And I've, I've also never met a woman who needed any help beating herself up in her own mind, right? Um, and yet, there is practicality to what you need to stop doing. So let's just think about, you know, from a health perspective, well, you need to move your body. And I actually have four uh, self-care fundamentals that I use with every woman I interact with. Um, You need to get adequate sleep every night. And this is just science, right? Self-care is not selfish. Self-care is science. I have a whole talk about this. So you have to get seven to eight hours of sleep a night, period, end of story, if you want to have good health. You must hydrate because our body is 80% water, right? You can't even think if you're not hydrated. And yet most women are really drastically under, uh, under hydrated. So we need to hydrate. We need to eat food that nourishes, right? These are all things we need to start doing. And when I say food that nourishes, I mean food that grew by the hands of the good Lord, right? We need fruit. We need vegetables. We need whole foods that have not been through a processed factory. And, you know, I've been my ideal weight for longer than I can remember. I don't count a fat gram or a calorie, but I eat like I like myself. And that's what I teach my clients to do. Eat like you like yourself. Um, And that's the other, and then the the final thing we need to do of the four things of self-care is we need to find some way to release our stress. And that's different for everyone. That could be gardening. It could be meditating. It could be a hot bath. it, It could be an actual workout. But these four things we need to start doing, and so if you want great health, you must take care of your physical body, and those four steps can help. Um, Now, you need to also stop inhaling garbage food, but that doesn't mean that you need to eliminate an entire food group. You need to stop beating yourself up every time you look in a mirror, right? There are some things that are just not good for you if you want to move forward. So anything that you're looking to change, what we want to do first is get clear about what's working. What's not? What do you want instead? And then as soon as you're clear about what you want instead, there is always a combination of things you need to start doing and things you need to stop doing. And the beauty is you don't even need to figure out what they are on your own because, you know, in in psychology, there's a term called modeling. And what that means is that in order to change a behavior, all we have to do is look for a person who's already getting the results we want And we just model what they're doing. We do the same things they're doing. We're going to get the same results. And so the start is really about uh, modeling the behavior of people who are getting the results you want to get. And the stop can be right along with those. You just want to look at the things people who have what you want would never do. And you probably want to consider whether or not you should be doing those things as well. Does that track? Does it surprise you that so many people are not for themselves? It's such a, it's such a hard thing, but, um, you know, I struggle with this myself with, you know, all the experience and education that I have. We all have this little doubter inside of us, right? You can call it the gremlin or the, um, the voice of doubt. I call the, the voice in your head that is not for you, you know, the one that warns you that you're not good enough or you don't have the experience or tells you what's wrong with you. I call that voice your frenemy. And, you know, we've all had a frenemy, the person who we don't really like her and we know she doesn't really like us, but she's kind of friends of a friend of a friend or maybe she's a colleague. And so we let that person get away with these little passive aggressive comments and we kind of feel bad about ourselves when we're around them, but we keep being around them. Well, the voice of the frenemy 
you adopt phrases from all the people who have not been for you throughout your life. But then we repeat that in our own heads. And so one of the things that I'm adamant about is really taking control of that voice in our head and replacing the voice of the frenemy with the voice of our best friend, understanding that the frenemy is actually not trying to hurt us. She's trying to help us. She's trying to warn us about what we need to pay attention to. Um, And so what we want to do is we want to acknowledge what she's saying, but then we want our best friend to come in and we want our best friend to help us take the kernel of truth in what the frenemy has raised, but help us to do that in a positive way. And, And we've all had that best friend. You can do it. You're amazing. Remember who you are. And, you know, I mean, I try to be that voice of the best friends for the women who are in my community. I try to reflect back to them how amazing they are because, I mean, women are rock stars. We, what women keep going, what women contribute, what women give of themselves, it just completely blows my mind. Um, And yet, very long answer to your question. I've never met a woman who didn't have that frenemy inside of her. And we need to muzzle that chick because she is not helping us get ahead. And why does what we don't say matter as much as what we do say? In our own mind, I think that what we don't say is all powerful because it's incredibly important for us to be our biggest support system. Now, in our outside voice, that's not always true because what I typically find with women is not that we say things we shouldn't say, but that we don't say things that we should say. You know, speaking up for yourself is two two parts. One part of really using our voice for our own empowerment is about that voice in our head and making sure that we're really only allowing positive, empowering, productive, or constructive thought patterns to go on in there. The other part of speaking up for yourself has to do with opening your mouth and using your voice. And we really have a hard time with this, as girls do. And that's because socially we are conditioned not to make anyone uncomfortable, to be the good girl, to be agreeable. And even in today's, uh, you know, society where I think women are coming into their own like never before, we are still not always encouraged to use our voices. And, and so the, the thing that I strongly encourage women to do is to get very clear about when they're not using their outside voices to speak up for themselves or to stand up for themselves. Um, and I have a little game that I play with, with clients and, you know, to your point, everything I do, I like to make sure that I have a practical kind of funny way to interrupt behavioral patterns. So if you have a hard time speaking up for yourself, like let's say you're in a meeting and you're too nervous to share your idea, or you're in a meeting and someone makes a a not so nice or a passive aggressive comment and you want to say something to that person, but you're uncomfortable. So you don't, but then what happens is you go back to your desk and you kind of obsess about it, or you go gossip with a friend about it. So what I suggest is that uh, we play this game called thought bubbles. And anyone who's ever liked a comic knows, you know, little comic strips where they have those little bubbles above their head that shows, you know, you what they're thinking. In thought bubble, what we do is I just challenge my clients to fill in the bubble above your own head. If you were going to say something, what would you say? And what that does is it gets the brain conditioned into a pattern where women can really start to access what we would say if we were going to speak up for ourselves. Because the unspoken is very dangerous when you are out in the world. I want to talk about in our last few minutes, I want to talk about the aspect that runs through what you've just been discussing and and a number of issues before is the noticing. Um, To catch yourself, you talk about it, to catch yourself when you start to use your voice for bad and you're not beating yourself up and you ask, you know, what's going on around you? Who's around you? What are you afraid of? Why are you playing small? And this would come up just as in what you're talking about. Why aren't you speaking up? You know, what is it that's going on? And, And what we talked about a moment ago as far as the modeling, because there's a balance there, right? And how we began the conversation is modeling's great. Um, once you've determined the essence of your goal, right? But that it 
is truly your goal, that it's something you're doing for pleasure, not proof. Um, and that it's, it's, uh, it's then great to pick someone to model after. But if we just initially decide, oh, wow, that person seems like they are doing a better job than I am, I'm going to model after them. Um, it, it's not going to work, right? So there's this noticing and you have another game. I'm loving your games. You have another game that is sort of the it, not it game. To, to be able to identify what is the thing that, to, to learn to trust that, that inner voice as to what is the thing that's yeah. right for you. Well, and, and the, like you've said so many things there that are important. So three things that I want to touch on. The, the first part is about awareness. Awareness is power. Right? There is not a single thing we as human beings do that is not intended for our benefit. The brain operates on something called positive intent. So that means if you're doing something that seemingly undermines you, there is a good reason you're doing it, right? We don't just do things arbitrarily. So the first thing that we want to do always is to become aware of our behavior and especially to become aware of our behavior when it doesn't serve us. Not to beat ourselves up, but to allow ourselves to start collecting data. And we do that with the second point by asking questions. There will be a pattern. If you're not speaking up for yourself, there is going to be a pattern about the person or type of person that puts you in that situation. There's going to be a pattern about the circumstances you're under. Maybe it's about pleasing someone or seeking approval. And so awareness coupled with our ability to really ask questions about what's going on with me right now and who makes me feel like I cannot use my voice or like I cannot go for something or, you know, whatever it is that you're being held back on. And then the third component is really around making sure that we're constantly connected with our true North, right? So imagine a compass. True North is what you want. And life is designed to help you pay attention to anything but that. So when we're constantly coming back to what do I want? And sometimes that starts with what isn't working here, right? And then what do I want instead? Such a powerful question to always be asking. And then when we can put what we want instead at True North and what we want instead can be something as simple as, hey, you know what? I want to be able to speak up for myself right? That's my true north. Then we give ourselves this space to start considering a new way of doing things. And when we allow ourselves to have a little bit of uh, time in the land of just knowing, right? When we're just in our own head or using our thought doubles, what would I say if I was brave enough to say it, right? When we allow ourselves that time, and this is the important part, without judging, you are not wrong because you're scared to speak up. You're not wrong because you're having this problem. We're so used to diagnosing ourselves, you know, with what's wrong with me or what happened in my childhood that's <laughs> stopping me from following through. But what I find most effective with clients is that when we can keep our eye on the ball of what's true north, what do I want, and we can be aware of our own behavior and of what's going on with us when we hold back, and then the magic we can be nice to ourselves, we can be kind, we can have some empathy, then you actually put yourself in this magical place where you can change behavior. And, you know, the final component that I'll note there is I have worked with famous CEOs, supermodels, artists. I have never met a person who did not have a problem they were working through who did not have some part of their life that was challenging or not the way they wanted it to be. And I'm talking people you could see on magazines and in movies, right? So this fallacy, especially fueled by social media where, you know, we're all publishing our highlight reel. No one is, you know, talking about <laughs> the problem they just solved or, you know, the relationship challenge they're in or the fact that they hate their boss. Like no one is talking about these things. Everyone just puts a happy face on and the most important thing for any and every one of your listeners to understand is that, you know, life includes problems. There is nothing wrong with you because you have problems. That is part of the human experience. And so I think just a, a level of kindness 
to ourselves gives us a, a, a great deal of power to change and evolve. And if you don't believe that, number one, go see Rocket Man and, uh, and, and <laughs> look at Elton to. John's life um, if you need any additional proof. Uh, number two, take Kim's advice. Catch yourself when you start to use your voice against you. When you do, shut your mouth for real. So that, yes. is, <laughs> <For real. laughs> that is number two. And then number three, open up your computer or your phone and get yourself over to Kim Fulcher's website and start watching some videos and, and reading some articles and, and hold on until you can get the new book. Um, oh, I love it. Because really, it just, you don't need anything else. It, it really is all there, you know, Kim. You know what I, what I believe, Ellie, is that each one of us, when we connect with who we really are and we start making decisions to honor that person, not to get the approval of the person we want approval from, not to check that box, not to have a new car or a new house or to get the new position. When we really just connect with our okayness, life starts to change dramatically. And, and I think the problems in our life really help us to create a level of empathy, right? Because suffering creates a level of compassion and understanding that helps us to connect with other people, right? When we really come from that place of knowing we're okay and judging ourselves less harshly, what I find is that we judge other people less harshly too. And it really, it's an alchemical thing in our relationships. It, it creates solid goals. And I think that's the success of your work because you get the flip side of each coin, right? You get the idea that the bowl that the goose and the gander are drinking out of are the same bowl. And yeah. and and so, you know, you say these things are particular to women, but and they are more so because of our society, but they're for everyone that we're overwhelmed, we're overcommitted, we're burned out, we're disconnected. We say yes when we mean no. We doubt ourselves. We deny our deepest desires. Um, and we compete with each other. And it is this coin that is the key as far as, you know, yes, all we have to do is know that we're okay. And yet it's because we don't know that we're okay, that we do all these other things. And so there lies the, the challenge and the magic, right? They're there on the same the coin. So beautifully put, so beautifully put. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, can't wait for the new book. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you can head to Kim's website, kimfulcher.com. And um, we didn't even get to talk about getting your groove on and the, the four paths that you've identified. Um, but all the first page of the website right there. And, and the other amazing part, and we didn't get to talk about it, it's all free on the website. Um, so you can yes. just dive in. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the bottom line is for whoever is listening, uh, my message is you are okay. And no matter what you are facing, no matter what it is, you 100% can figure it out and you can get through it. And you do that with a lot more joy and a lot more grace when you do it openly and honestly with a group of others who are also wanting to live in that way. And, and that's really what we offer at KimFulcher.com is community and a lot of free content that's very practical that can help you make changes in your life. And, and I, I just want to so honor you, Ellie, for the work that you're doing because spreading the word about um, things that make you think, right? This, this is what helps us grow. We got to notice. All right. I'm going to end the show with the way that Kim ends all of her messages. Know that life is happening for you. From Kim. <laughs> Thanks again. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so Great much, Great to talk Ellie. to you, Kim. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.